Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast series. I'm delighted to host this podcast and share key trends and innovations for each of the 25 industries we serve. At SAP, we like to say that we speak the language of our customers, and this language is industry. We've been supporting all industries for more than 50 years now, and it's exciting to launch this podcast and discuss with industry experts the business value that they get from our solutions. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Industry Insights by SAP podcast. My name is Tom Raftery, and with me on the show today, I have my two special guests, David and Torsten. David and Torsten, would you like to introduce yourselves with maybe David going first? Hello, I'm David Lawson, and I look after the SAP business for Capgemini in Europe. Superb, Torsten. Hello, this is Torsten Walty. I have the pleasure at SAP to lead the airspace and defense industry business unit, but also the cross-industry topic of uh, outcome-based or everything as a service. Okay, so everything as a service, product as a service, as as you know, and th- there are various other names that we have. This servitization is another one that's been put out there as well, which I actually hate the sound of that. It gets on my nerves, but I know other people love it, and it's starting to become a thing. Okay, so I guess first question is why? What pr- what problem is product as a service, outcome as a service, servitization? What problem is it solving? Maybe, maybe David, you want to kick off there for us. Okay, so. I in my I'm fortunate enough in my role to talk to a lot of boards and CXOs. And when you have those meetings, um, it's always why are we looking at S4 usually? Because that's that's my job. <laughs> um, and if I talk about what are those, you know, what are those top four reasons, outcome-based servitization is usually one of the top four topics they'll they'll talk about. And it sometimes takes by surprise when they'll go, Yeah, we'd like to look at this. It seems to be on operate on many levels one it's selling extra margin and you know to, to keeping making the customers more sticky the one is in markets that are very saturated trying to have something different to say and more interesting some is trying to improve the quality of the service so in healthcare actually giving people drugs directly and treating them quicker so they get a better outcome um, and some is owning the actual complete supply chain so i own this supply chain from one end to the other and i think the final point changing demands people want to lease and share and they don't want to own and that is causing them to have to have new ways to go to market so that's five good reasons why it's a topic it's on everybody mind. Okay, Torsten? Especially in the uh, larger complex products, we also see the fact that investments in those, you know, the upfront buy is much more difficult these days than it was a couple of years ago. In the sense that innovations come around much quicker and faster. And by having more an outcome based uh, brings in basically the manufacturer or the provider into the, the equation. It is actually not only from a cost perspective uh, or from an innovation or customer centric approach, more trends that I see, but it's also more of a easier to consume, more innovations, more sustainable uh, solutions that are coming out. So. Um, I hope more and more manufacturing company or service companies will adopt it because I think uh, at the end uh, we will get better product, better services because we only get the things what we need to and not what other people think we need to. Okay, so let's let's start first with industries and industry specific. I mean, is this 
specific to any one particular industry or set of industries? I mean, I can't imagine you, you mentioned, Thorsten, you're in aerospace and defense. I can't imagine an army, you know, renting F-35s or tanks or something like that. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe that's exactly what they do. T- tell me a little bit. Is, is that wh- how does that work? Tell me, is, is that it? It's it actually the uh, surprisingly uh, lot in the military side. There, it's called sustainments. Shows how much I know. It's been a practice for a long, long time, especially with I would say sec- uh, second tier countries where they ba- buy uh, products uh, and they get basically the training for it. it. It's more bundled with training and spare parts and making the things run. Uh, or operate uh, in that fact. Um, and, and they took uh, some lessons from Rolls-Royce when Rolls-Royce uh, kind of started this with uh, Power by the Hour. So in the military side, it's it's very much established. It's it's just not well wow. known. They do buy the equipment, but it's it's the services around it uh, that make it work um, are in some cases even mandatory. So foreign military sales have actually some of that as a mandatory piece. But it we see it in every industry. We we had a, a cross-industry project uh, at SAP where we had seven different industries participate to just see uh, where does it go? Where does it end, right? Uh, we have seen furniture as a service. We have seen paint as a service. We have seen diaper as a service. Uh, you know, David and I, we shared some notes in another call. All industries have uh, examples in that area because it's, it's a fact of getting close to the customer. It's basically outcome based. And that's where a lot of the consumers look for. But did, did you just say paint as a service? How does that work? Yeah, that, that was a <laughs> uh, very surprise uh, that, that we got to. Yeah. Um, it's not like you can give it back at the end of its life. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was. The outcome was basically the the painted room. It was a, a service that uh, one of the paint uh, companies provided of saying, we're going to sell you a new painted room, right? Instead of, I, I want this paint, I want that paint. Um, and, and painted it and it didn't look what it is. And so they got a lot of negative feedbacks from, from customers where, uh, as we probably all know, we all painted rooms and then our um, significant others came into the room and said, this is not the color I wanted. Go back to the hardware store and get the other paint, right? Uh, so off we go and get another gallon of paint and um, hopefully we didn't paint the whole room. That's that's the, the kind of uh, examples where people just look at it and say, how can I provide a better, better service? How can I get stickier with our customers? How can I compete against the others? And that's that's the very interesting part in this. And David, any <clears throat> any industries that you are seeing at the moment that are particularly interesting? Well, interesting, predictable, or clearly automotive service. Everybody comes out. I think it's quite interesting to then take that to the next level. Is that they want to move to parcels as a service, even though they're building the the things that deliver the parcels or whatever, or journeys or miles. So they're not they're taking it and pushing it another bit further. It's not just providing a truck or a car, it's taking it further. I see it in agribusiness with uh, taking a stake in crops, seeing those growing better, getting better yields and taking a stake in there. I see a lot of it in healthcare. We've got a good example with people who make uh, uh, beds who want to have 
better beds available when they want it. I've seen wound dressings as a service getting better returns. So your insurance payments go down so the hospitals will use your wound dressing rather than somebody else's wound dressing. I've seen orange juice as a service. That's probably the most unusual one I've seen. Clearly the software industry as well. It's all as a service. So pretty well everywhere. I And always constantly surprised by who's looking at it. Um, I, I think there's also hints of sort of fashion as a service virtually. So you're getting the same sort of quality and the same things you like provided all the time. So everywhere is the answer in places I didn't expect and in models I didn't expect. And um, yeah, it, it, it's just everywhere. Um, and it's not just cars. We had a, a, an episode of this podcast a couple of weeks ago with a French company called Lizzie, and they are providing a platform for retailers to do rental. So a very similar idea, Decathlon, for example, are one of their customers. So you can go to Decathlon in France and rent a tent. So if you're going camping, you don't need to buy the tent. You just rent it, have it for the week or two that you're camping and then give it back and it's refurbished and rent it out to the next person. So you're not losing storage space in your house. Uh, you're not having to pay full whack for the tent. You get a full quality tent with a full guarantee, the whole thing. And the, the tent itself, instead of being used once and put in a, a wardrobe or a garage or something like that, the tent gets used every week and every, and every week and every week. So the, the one tent gets far more utilization, which is, you know, a great sustainability win as well. So for people who are embarking on this journey, be they manufacturers of planes or orange juice or paint or whatever, what are the challenges that they're facing? Because, I mean, we we in SAP are going through this ourselves. We're going from on-prem to cloud, which is a similar sort of transition. It's rental. What what are the what are the, I know and we're finding it challenging. What kind of challenges are are the people you're seeing, what kind of challenges are they facing? Um, can I go first on that? Because I think Torsten will have much better answers. So I'll go with mine <laughs> and he'll fit around me. Um, knowing your product, how it's made, how it's designed, and what's out being serviced is a very good start and making the same thing and making the thing you plan to make and supporting thing you plan to make. And you'll be amazed how many companies don't know what they've got out there being supported and what they're designed. And I think once you've got that right, then everything else can be built on top, like your planning and everything like that. But get, knowing your product would appear to be to be the biggest challenge. Over to you, Torsten, because you can have the next biggest challenge. Yeah, yeah thanks, David. I, I see it, uh, the, the big challenges is because of the fact that the, the companies, if it's a producer or a service provider or a software provider, um, any of those, they extend basically their reach, their work into their customer's domain. Um, so that means if I provide a, a filling machine to a bottler, I need to understand how they run the bottling plant, right? That's very much, uh, you know, a domain that most of the, the companies haven't really worked in, in their customer space. They may hire people from that area and understand it, but when you have to perform the hosting services, when you have to do all the services around it, right, to maintain the software and data centers for your customers, uh, you have to understand how they use the product, right? And we very often, we as manufacturers or service providers, we may not know how uh, what, where people or companies use the products. And that is a very, very, very difficult situation. And to align basically the outcome to the usage 
that's where the trick is, right? And making sure that when I provide it, I can provide the service, I can keep the customer happy, uh, and I'm not losing my shirt in the process. That is that is absolutely the the, the biggest challenge that I see. Uh, and to have the tentacles basically then out to understand what's happening, where things are breaking, how can I quickly react to it? How can I react to it in a in a monetary fashion that it's meaningful for me and for my customer? That is the biggest trick in this. I'll go with three more, then you can fit around me again, Torsten, because I've got uh, financial management because you start owning these products and you have to plan for that. And that changes the way you think about your business. So companies that weren't particularly asset rich suddenly do become asset rich. I would say simplification of internal processes becomes important because you've got money going all over the place and trading. So you've got to make that fairly easy. And my third one um, for Torsten fits in some more is around... um, the way that customers change behaviors when they start buying as a service. Uh, I think that you touched on that, that they will they will personalize things more, they will expect more, they will expect you to fix it, not your dealers to fix it. So everything changes. So your organization has to be set up for that. And they also tend to choose slightly more complex options because they can. Um, so there's three things that cause pain. I wonder, maybe, maybe, maybe I'm wrong in this, but I wonder if the customer no longer owns the device, are they as likely to take good care of it? Uh, I've not seen any evidence of that yet, Um, but I have seen that they're very happy to try things out that they probably wouldn't have tried before (laughs) because they've got the choice of handing it back. Um, that's that's definitely something I've observed, that they'll go for that strange color or that strange bit of kit just because they like the idea of it. Well, if you're buying it, you probably wouldn't have done. Right. Interesting. And uh, that point, that first of those three points, David, that you mentioned, I think that's one that's possibly underappreciated. The fact that, you know, if you're a manufacturer, you manufacture stuff, you sell it. You manufacture, you sell, and that's it. Whereas now, if you're moving to as a service... You manufacture and you keep it. And suddenly you have all these assets on your books that you never had before. And if something happens to the market, suddenly you've got a massive liability. That's got to be worrisome, no? Yes. If you take what's happened with COVID and the aerospace industry, that's exactly what's happened. And Torsten, you've probably got better examples from other places. Yeah. And um, it's uh, on one hand side, it's it's a blessing, but on the other side, uh, on the recovery side, it's also uh, one side it's a curse and one side it's a blessing, right? Uh, as we see now from a recovery perspective, um, because of the fact that your customers don't have to put out the cash to, to buy the assets, uh, they're much more likely to consume it. So therefore, that, that uh, hamster wheel starts spinning faster and uh, earlier but yeah absolutely there's there's a lot of companies that are struggling now with the fact that they have the assets sitting on their books and looking at it and say how do i you know manage through this process there that argument to uh, to the street wall street uh, and stockholders is probably less of a problem than you know if you don't have the revenue because a lot of the investors were so used to have really good numbers really good revenue numbers and uh, good business reports back. And I see a lot of companies uh, and and a lot of research being done of saying, this is actually uh, servitization and everything as a service is way better for companies to come out of uh, the COVID recovery than it was uh, for, for those who sold assets. 
Interesting. One huge challenge as well has to be the sales organization within your company because, you know, they've, their compensation changes. How, how, are, how are organizations dealing with that? Well, you've got to think about um, how you access the thing that you're going to try out, how you sell it. Um, um, clearly, you sell far more directly and far more online than you did before, back to the problems that you had before. So I know car dealers, chips will struggle with this model. And I know that people who are selling these things find that people are buying things online that they wouldn't have bought online before. So they're configuring something complex and buying it without actually sitting in it or seeing it or or trying it out or firing it if it's a warship or whatever it is. So they're, um, they're, they're, they're buying in different ways. So the whole thing changes the way you compensate people and the way people behave. Um, and yeah, it's, it's, it's very, very interesting that people that don't seem to want to touch and feel things as much as they did before, but you've got to find ways of getting them access to it. So instead of great big stores out of town, moving to small high street ones where people can pop in, see what they're going to get and then lease it. Um, the whole thing changes. The dealers, um, support, repairs, warranty, everything is is different and you have to work your way through it. It's complicated. Yeah. I, I would say uh, two things, uh, Tom. Today you have a siloed approach with uh, all the sales guys. They sell, they run, they sell your product, they're off. Then the aftermarket guys sell the spare parts and then they're off, right? Um, but in this case, as David said, um, you're selling a, a service and outcome. Uh, so you have to stay with the customers. You have to, uh, you know, stay in touch with them. You have to connect with them. You have to live through the buying experience, the high of getting it to the low of it's not working, right? Um, so the sales guys, that uh, most of them, sorry to say to my my coworkers, uh, but they're running and uh, selling stuff and they live off the, the high points, right? Uh, when a lot of uh, the, the, the customers come in and complain things, uh, that's a little bit uh, not of their favorite time of the day, but with servitization, it is, totally part of the the new selling game it's the you know acquiring selling staying with it supporting it uh, renewing it because those renewal cycles are really short uh, they're not uh, the the five six seven years anymore where product cycles are um, it's like every year or every two or three years right uh, for some some of the areas where you have to do the renewal so that means you have to really stay in touch with those guys and and internally I would say what I've seen um, in companies that switched over from a pure selling uh, selling of a product and selling um, services uh, those two organizations have to melt together because they have to truly work together in, in, in this world. And that starts even from an engineering perspective, right? Um, because all of a sudden the engineers have uh, have to design products that actually have the maintenance cycles inside, right? Uh, because that's the cost structure disruption that's keeping you from the outcome. So it, it's a constant improvement and, and I hope uh, and I've seen it in some some areas that uh, there are much better sustainable products coming out of this because the companies own it, they have to maintain it, and they also have to deal with the end of life cycle. So how much of the products can I recycle in this, right? Uh, how much of the products uh, do I sit on it? As you said, David, they're assets, they're on my books. 
right? Um, if I use product um, materials that are not recyclable, I sit on them. I sit on the cost. So um, I really look forward to it because, you know, I had a microwave that just broke a year into it and I'm like, it's just finished the warranty and <laughs> <laughs> now I have to buy a new one. <laughs> Ouch. Ouch. And they're hard to, they're hard to recycle if you don't own them yourself. If you haven't, when, if you haven't been the manufacturer and it hasn't been, you know, built for recycling, it's, it's no fun. Yeah. What about, I mean, we talk, we talk about sales. What about margins? So, I mean, it's, it's reasonably straightforward on a one-off sale to figure out what margins are going to be like, but on a long-term rental, it's got to be a lot more challenging to, to work out what kind of price you're charged, how long is a rental agreement? And of course the two are related. What do you do at end of life and all that kind of thing? So what, what are margins like for one versus the other? I think that we're in a situation where in transition from the old world to the new world and everybody is working out what this means and they don't want to trash their existing business by putting in this new way and they don't want to find out they don't make any money at it. So everybody is pushing this as a pilot and working out the complexities of it and working out whether it is more profitable. There is a sort of feeling that it is or it should be or it can be, but um, I think you, you don't want to destroy what you've got and you've got to make sure it remains that. The complexity is much higher, but it should have good returns. That has to be seen, I would say, in most cases. So, I mean, most people are in the transition from products to service, but it's something that's complicated, yeah. I mean, there's lots of things that are quite simple that you sell as a service, but for something that's complicated, it's 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 hard to get it going and make it sure it worked and making sure you've done it correctly. And the amount of information that you're gonna get, the amount of contact you're gonna get, the amount you to actually make this work, there is such a lot to do, which comes back a bit to the solution. Uh, but it, it is such a complex thing to make sure you are gonna make money out of it and make sure it's not gonna destroy your existing business or cannibalize it. It's something you have to think about very carefully and plan your old and your new and run in parallel and make sure that it's not damaging your existing business or not profitable uh, or taking up so much time to keep it going that it, it, it effectively stops your existing business working. So I wouldn't say I've got that much evidence of people changing and completely shifting their profit yet. I think people are on this journey mainly because they need so much to change to make it work and be make sure it's working properly. Mm. But do they not want it to cannibalize their existing business eventually? Um, yes, but I don't think they want to bet everything on it straight away. I think they want to run both in parallel, which is why you need to be quite flexible. Mm. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I, I do see companies who transitioned over, especially in the software side, right? Um, we've seen some evidence in that area already. Uh, and there, the margins are, uh, let me say that the reported margins are much higher, right? Or the margin targets are higher uh, in that area. And uh, we also seen and talked to other companies that done it in the hardware side, hardware meaning like any anything manufactured, like from furnitures to, to other things, the margins itself are higher. Uh, as, as David said, there's a couple things at the beginning that uh, really draw down from a cost perspective and reduce the margins. Uh, it's the setup cost, it's the, the changing cost, it's uh, running two, two business models in parallel. Uh, so those are the things that really draw down the margins because they increase the cost. And the fact that most companies don't really understand 
how their customers use it. So the extra cost of fixing it, the unexpected repair, the unexpected design, uh, all those things are costs that will run in the beginning. But areas where we've seen um, the, the model being for, for quite some time implemented and uh, information is going back to managed process and the risk effectively, uh, they have higher margins. Okay. And we, we alluded a couple of times in this to sustainability, but we haven't talked about it explicitly. So to my mind, uh, I think the fact that a manufacturer, uh, particularly of hardware, for example, the fact that they're going to maintain ownership of it means there's a disincentive to have inbuilt obsolescence. So straight away, that's a sustainability win. And you mentioned as well, Thorsten, that, you know, if you're maintaining ownership of it, you rethink how you engineer it so that, you know, at end of life, you can recycle, you know, as much as possible of whatever it is you're manufacturing so that you're keeping your costs down. Are there any other obvious sustainability wins that come out of this? Yeah, I think the idea of utilization of the products, increasing that, um, is a is a big thing. So you know, if you we've got a good example of somebody who makes great big bits of equipment. Their equipment is only used thirty three percent of the time. The rest of the time, it's doing nothing. If they can increase that, that's where the big gain is. Which means they're they're doing more, but or the same, but not actually producing as much. And then just the new operating models of of things, um, you know, like electric trucks and stuff like that, means that it, they lend themselves very well to this model of recharging retray and then selling electricity rather than than making equipment that does it it is just driving in that general direction and i think it gives a good it gives us a very good chance of success um it's part of the answer and a lot of the people who are trading in this way tend to be in a more sustainable industry or thinking about the business sustainable way i've wondered about whether it's sort of chicken and egg or whether it's just that the people who work in those places want to use this kind of business model. I'm not, I'm not sure somebody, you, you could probably tell me whether there's any logic to it, but it just feels to me that if it's a sustainable business, it's more likely it's going to be delivered as a service or an outcome. That, that's how I feel. And clearly things around fertilizer and stuff like that, you use the right amount rather than using too much or risking that. So there's, there's that sort of thing. So precision can reduce the amount you're using. You know, if you, if you water, pure, water purifying and then controlling how you recycle things. You, you can be more precise about what you're doing. And so incremental games everywhere. And you can measure it because you're more connected as well. So it, it, it's sort of pushing in the right direction. Um, but my, my observation is that the companies that are doing sustainable business models tend to want to go this way, main, maybe because their consumers expect them to. Okay. Torsten? Just to add to, to David's point, I think if, if you look at it, um, it's not a siloed business anymore. So from sustainability, uh, my thinking is always to reduce waste, right? Um, so if I have now um, one one organization being responsible end to end from cradle to grave, uh, right? As one of our friends, McDonough, who describes it, and we reduce in that cradle to grave process all the waste in it, because we're responsible for it, it, it just puts a completely different tone to it. So it's not just only cost reduction, it's waste reduction. We reduce waste in the process of producing, designing and using it. Um, of course, uh, we have to basically manage the how it's used, right, part. 
uh, were aligned with that in that area. But we have a, you know, a bigger surface now that uh, companies and individuals can go and optimize and reduce waste. And, and that, and by looking at the end-to-end -end process, cradle grave, people can now really, really, really uh, go go to town to to reduce the waste. Okay, super, super. In the computer industry, we've seen, you know, we, we started off with kind of mainframes and then we went to desktop computers and then we went to client server architecture and now we're going to cloud, which is just another client server, really. Are we going to see swings and roundabouts here? Are we going to go product as a service and then back to ownership and then back to product as a service and then back to ownership the way we've gone from mainframe to desktop to client server, which is just another form of mainframe and cloud. Is it, is it, is it, is this it? Are, are we going away from ownership completely and to product as a service? Or is this going to swing back in a few years time back to ownership again away from this? Or what do you think is going to happen? I don't know because <laughs> everybody asks the question about this and very few people actually contract for it. So the idea that we provide everything as a service and take part of the risk, it's all very good. But that also means that the procurement department get very upset about the downside where we're buying a lot more of an expensive product. And I think there's a, a problem there conflicting between the two. So I was recently asked for something, could you provide everything as a platform and charge that? And started looking around and finding people who actually do it. And we, we get very close and we write about it, but not many people are willing to take that risk with us. I think we'd be willing to do it under certain circumstances. So I don't think there's many examples of it. Um, uh, and whether we end up in a sort of a two-tier world with some people going that route and having a more luxurious solution and some people going the other way and just cutting costs, and I don't know. Um, but um, at the moment, it seems to be the major problem is the imagination, the people contracting it on both teams to bring that to to bring that to fruition. That seems to be my my view. Thorsten, anything to add? I, I also don't have the crystal ball. Um, <laughs> let me say it this way. I think, um, I hope uh, for for the targets we have in, in the sustainability area that uh, we will get more in the servitization area because I, I think it's it really puts the honest on the manufacturers anymore. Um, and uh, I really look forward to the you know good old days where Germany said made in Germany and it lasted forever, <laughs> right? Um, that was a, a, a period of time where they used that brand uh, and you could buy a product. And um, if I look back to some of my toys I played with as a boy, uh, some of them are still the, the the metal cars that are still like intact. Ten years later, yep. Uh, if I look at some of the toys that my son played with, um, I think they last, last maybe one or two years, right? Because they were made out of plastic. But, um, you know, the, the, that's just, uh, you know, examples out of my, my own life where I compare it, where I say, well, this, hopefully there is lots of that to stay because I think um, it creates a lot of innovations. I think um, what I see, it, it not only creates good innovations in the product, it also creates innovations into what customers need. So um, a much, much different world. Cool. Okay, folks, we're coming towards the end of the podcast now. Is there any question I haven't asked that you wish I had or any topic we've not touched on that you think it's important for people to be aware of? 
I've got one. Great. Which I'm amazed you've not asked, given your employer. <laughs> it's um, you know, why is SAP S4 HANA and the platform around it such a great bet for this particular business model? And yeah, that's my big question. Okay. What's your answer? I just think it is because if you're going to plan something, buy something, support something, sell something, interface with everything, uh, sense what it's being used for, know the condition of it, and know what's happening to your salesman and paying for them, that all needs to be in one area. And I can only think of one product that can do it. Now, clearly, if it's a very simple product and you don't really care and you throw it away when it comes back, but if it's at all complicated and you've got to service it, you know what, know what condition it is or what drugs you're administering or when it's going to break down and, and be used and it's mission critical, I can only think of one thing that can do that, and that's SAP. And I don't think the sort of CRM products can do that, and I don't think any other ERP product can do it. Um, that that is my view, which I think is why it's driving so many large transformations. Fantastic. Answer my own question. I didn't expect that. I thought you'd answer it. <laughs> but, you know, coming from me, people might think I'd be slightly biased, David. So you know, I'm not going to jump in there. So, so thank you for that, Torsten. Anything I haven't asked that you want to bring up? Yeah, I think um, one of the big questions I have is, uh, or that we didn't talk about, is does the uh, to David's environment, um, how are the ecosystem players work in it? Uh, because that also requires not only, I would say from from a, when a product is provided as a service, how do, do service companies also re-platform themselves uh, to that new thinking, the new consumer aspect that you said, David, right? Uh, let's try certain things and do certain things. So that's, that's one area I, I, I think we haven't touched on. Okay. Okay. Cool. Do we want to dig into that or will we go to the last question? Well, I think on that basis, we have to get in quickly. We have to do proofs of concept. We have to make it standard and easy to do and not too expensive. So the idea of designing something that's going to take five years to launch, then find out it doesn't work, isn't particularly good. So we've got to do it much quicker. Um, we've got to take some stake in it being a success. So per truck or per wind farm or per whatever it is. And as we can grow, we as that grows, we can get more success. And I would throw the same back to the large ERP vendors that they have to take that sort of approach as well and not try to sell everything for the model when it's mature and it's been running for three years, but rather to scale with the, with the model as well. So we've all got to learn to scale and we've also got to learn to be fast and then we've got to be flexible and real build because the solution will never stop changing. Superb. Okay. Folks, we've come to the end of the podcast now. David, if people want to know more about yourself or Torsten about yourself or any of the topics we discussed today on the podcast, where would you have me direct them? Maybe Dave, you want to go first? Well, I would go to my LinkedIn profile, uh, which is just my name. Um, and you will find I try to blog every week and there's lots of information on this. This is one of my favorite topics. Um, so please go there and read about it and I'll be very happy to respond to any questions. Thank you. Cool. And we'll have a link to your LinkedIn account in the show notes for this podcast. Torsten? Same here. Uh, on the link on my LinkedIn channel, that there's uh, lots of information on it. We are in the process to uh, publish a couple articles with my coworker Ankit Sharma. So um, one of it will be at Harvard Business Review. So look out for that. That's to come. Uh, we also have on the SAP website uh, a, a really good uh, link 
where where you can start look for for some of the information so fantastic okay gentlemen that's been really really interesting discussion thanks a million for coming on the podcast today thank you very much thank you for listening to the industry insights by sap podcast If you want to explore our industry portfolio to find the solutions you need to run your business better, faster and simpler, please visit us at sap.com slash industries.